in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabe S. Done. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm Gabe Estan. And you guys, I've been talking about this episode for a long time and we're finally doing it because I have done, I think, too much research into Warren Buffett. You know him as a billionaire who is kind of this talking head, lovable grandpa looking man. I've been doing research on him for months and he's a monster. Please welcome to the show, my friend Drew Gregory, who knows nothing about what she's about to learn. Hi, I love to learn. I love to know nothing about what I'm about to learn. Even you just saying Warren Buffett's a monster. I mean, I assume most rich people are, but I was like, oh my God, I'm in for a treat. Yeah, there's a lot. So do you want to tell my audience who you are and what you do? My name is Drew Burnett Gregory. I'm a filmmaker and a writer. Yeah, I think that's, I'm... A thinker? I'm, a, I'm, yeah, I li- I'm a thinker. I like to, a you know, philosopher. Pond- I like to ponder the realities of the world. I feel like most of what I've learned about money has been from Gabe, either directly <laughs> or through, through his work. So it's fun to be back on the show. Thank you so much. Okay, so I've been referencing him in probably every episode up to this because he's taken over my brain. Uh-huh. But Warren Buffett is very good at presenting a reputation that he then has no like 
desire to actually withhold, like uphold in his actions and daily life. So Warren Buffett is 92 years old. He has a net worth of $109 billion. And his entire thing seems to be buy safe stocks and then hold on to them. That's it. That's the whole strategy. But it's also insidious and terrible. So he's kind of well-known and well-liked for being this self-made billionaire. He's the chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, which is a company that owns a bunch of other companies. He made his first millions running a hedge fund. He kind of became obsessed with stocks at a very young age, like even in high school. And he's kind of like gained this big following because he identifies as a Democrat. He is like known as the Oracle of Omaha. And because he, he's never left his hometown, like he lives in like a like the Omaha, Nebraska, like vicinity of where he grew up. His house, notably, he bought it in 1958 for like a hundred something thousand dollars and he still lives there. He's widely considered to be the most successful investor of the 20th century. His personal fortune is about $60 billion, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. The reason that he's able to stay in the lowest tax bracket is because he pays himself 20K per year in income. So basically, if you have a company or if you have a, a charitable foundation or whatever, you can have all this money come in, but then you pay yourself an income, quote unquote, of a very low amount. And that puts you in this lower tax bracket, which Are is you something saying that-, that- are you saying that Warren Buffett and I make the same amount each year? Because, wow, <laughs> brag to me. My 20K well, has never felt better. That's kind of the thing, right? And even I do this, right? I have a, an S-Corp that is my company. My money goes into there. I pay myself a salary out of that money. So that allows me to pay lower taxes on it. Like a lot of people do this. It's just sort of egregious when you are a billionaire and you pay yourself less than $20,000 in income so you don't have to pay taxes on like your capital gains or whatever. So his also his big thing is that he is the founder of the Giving Pledge, which is where he encourages billionaires to donate all of his money. And he's sort of a, a, a beacon, a role model. There's this 2017 documentary about him that shows him as like one of the most generous men in the world because he donates all this money. But the problem is, is that you could just pay taxes to where that money would go. <laughs> My big problem with people who are wealthy, who consider themselves like good people or, or proponents of giving money away or stuff like how Dave Ramsey does, et cetera, it's that you are a control freak. You want to control where that money goes. You don't want to pay taxes because that could get used on stuff you don't agree with. You want to donate the money to the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation, to the foundations that your children have created, because you want to be able to say, I'm giving money where I want it to go. And so that is kind of the thing. And what it comes down to about Warren Buffett is that he is a control freak. He's a control freak. And he's also, he's, a, he's scary in this way that he presents himself as very lovable. And then it's like, goes even, like, it's one thing to be like, I'm evil and I'm outwardly evil and I'm Elon Musk and I'm Jeff Bezos. It's another mm -hmm. thing to be like, believe that he is a good person and present himself as a good person and then be just as bad. He is a cult in the sense that he has created this Berkshire Hathaway event that happens in Omaha. It's called Capitalist Woodstock. And we're like going to get- That's what they call it, Capitalist Woodstock. Wow. We're, we're going to get into it. 
He is a defender of capitalism. He says that it's about a competitive free market, but basically what he does is benefit off monopolies. And we're going to get into that too. I found a great comment that was like, investors never call them monopolies. They call them highly successful companies with excellent earnings growth that are dominant in their sector with effective (laughs) moats. Do you know what a moat is? Uh, I mean, I know it in the context of like a castle. Sure. So thank you for coming here to let me yell at you. Okay. (laughs) So Warren Buffett talks about moats a lot. And what a moat is, is it's a company's ability to maintain competitive advantages. So basically, it's a company that if any other companies come up and try to challenge it, it can sort of fend off that competition, whether that's by buying out the other companies. For example, there's a company that he had that owns .com and .net. It's called Verisign. And so whenever you buy a... Yeah. Whenever no, you buy .net... My, my brain is being like, what do you mean it oh, to own .com? Uh-huh, sure. They get a cut of any time you make a .com or a .net. So then this other company cropped up and tried to make .web happen mm. in order to create an alternative to .com or .net. And then Verisign made a fake company, bid on .web, bought it, and then dismantled it. So there's never been a .web account made since this happened. And Warren Buffett is an investor in Verisign. So it's stuff like that, right? You you mm-hmm. go up. So either it's, and he's also an investor in Dairy Queen, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's. And either it's that it's such a big company like Coca-Cola that something to challenge it, like where something that was going to challenge it would have to be so big and so economy changing that you're going against Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Or it's a company that is actively trying to squash anything that might be considered profitable and sort of undercut all of its competitors. But he's a good guy. Right. It's just like, it's just like he's not, he's not tweeting evil things. Right. So people, yeah. Well, he barely has a phone. I feel like my, my mom is the exact audience for like the nice billionaires where it's so, maybe it's a generational thing or uh, I don't know, like where you're just, you look at certain people and you're like, well, they, they have a smile on their face and they're not, they're not, you know, whatever. So it's like, well, they must be doing good things with their money. I mean, also like he's very folksy and, Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that in a second, but basically like the monopolies of it all kind of comes together in this video that I found that's by a man named AK Fallible. And I really enjoyed this video. I'll link to it. But basically, AK is talking about how it's worse for consumers because there are, you can say that your capitalism is about the free market, but there's no free market when you're shutting down all competitors. And the first few things that Warren Buffett buys are newspapers like the Washington Post and some cable. And then that's like really important to not have monopolies on, obviously, because then you just get funneled a silo of information that is basically propaganda. Mm -hmm. Or... He is doing so with companies that have things like addictive drugs, opioids, dialysis companies that can now provide terrible dialysis to medical patients because there's no competitors. He invests in trailer parks that then evict people because these these people can't afford to live anywhere else. He invests in John Deere which John Deere purposefully makes it impossible for you to repair your own John Deere tractor. You have to go to a John Deere in order to get it repaired. So it's these little things that like nobody looks into, which are basically just 
creating situations where there's no ability to have competition. So it's actually a lie to say that you believe in the free market. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, no, that I mean, it makes sense in the way that it is very frustrating and doesn't make sense in a moral sense. My one question, which I think I know the answer to, based on what you've said so far, is like, he's not wanting control over where his money goes charitably and not paying taxes because he's like protesting war. He's just wants to not actually give as much money as he would be giving if he paid the percentage of taxes that like I even pay. Correct. Yeah. Because like I could see a world where someone's like, well, I don't want to give money to the US government. And you're like, oh, that could be admirable if you're giving enough of your money away to actual good causes and giving a lot of it away. But Mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like just for clarity's sake, that's not what's happening. No, and Bill Gates is one of his besties. So the fact that he's giving all this money to the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation is like, you're basically just another video I I watched talked about. They're just moving money around amongst each other. Mm -hmm. His besties are Bill Gates and Charlie Munger. Who Charlie Munger, if you ever look up, look up a picture of Charlie Munger for a jump scare. I don't want to talk about what people look like, but just it's a full jump scare. He's like decrepitly falling apart. They're bo- they're all so old except for Gates. And yeah. it's like, they, there's no reason to hold on to this money at that age. Right. You, nothing is, go- and I'll tell you what, because Buffett is seen as very folksy, it's actually even more insidious, which we'll get into. Basically, he argues like, you know, I do, I don't think there should be a cap on billionaires in this interview with CNBC with Becky Quick. It's the three of them. And he's talking about, you know, the government does need to reallocate resources and the haves should take care of the have nots. But, you know, human ingenuity is better than anything the government could come up with. You could give a bunch of money to Henry Ford and he would come up with the car. But you could give a bunch of money to a government agency that's supposed to better transportation and they wouldn't invent the car because the human mind is so much better than what any of these people could come up with, 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 than what the government could come up with. That's what he says. Mm hmm. We'll get, let's, let's take a detour into his, the way he eats. So Warren Buffett. (laughs) I'm scared. Continue. So you know that he gives himself a 20K salary. He only, (laughs) he lives in this house that he bought in the, in the fifties. Like his whole thing is that he is a man of the people. He drives an older car. He probably has a lot of peanut butter sandwiches and like, you know, we'll. No, baby. (laughs) He eats McDonald's every day. What? He's 92 years old. He eats, he drinks, only drinks Coca-Cola. This is, I don't know if this is true, but this is what he says. And people have followed him around for stories. And and the people at McDonald's that he, in this documentary, he drives through and they all know him. But so he only drinks Coca-Cola and he eats McDonald's every single day. He drinks three cans of soda before leaving for work. For breakfast, he might have a bowl of ice cream, a potato chip bag. He eats like he is six years old. And then the Washington Post story says, he he says, I checked the actuarial tables and the lowest death rate is among six-year-olds. So I decided to eat like a six-year-old. It's the safest course I can take. So he's being funny. Right. He also owns a part of Dairy Queen and he eats, he owns it because he went on a date with a girl to Dairy Queen once and he just like loved how they ran things when he was younger. And so he was like, I will buy Dairy Queen one day. Uh-huh. In his car, in the documentary, he says he doesn't carry like money around and he doesn't really have a phone or a computer. And so he, his wife every morning, depending on how the stock market is doing, gives him either $2.65 or $3.17 in his cup holder. 
And if it's $2.65, he gets the smaller breakfast at McDonald's. And if it's $3.17, he gets the better breakfast at McDonald's. And that's every day. Okay, so uh, I was joking about the peanut butter sandwich, but he really is eating cheaply. He cosplays as as a middle-class American, yeah. Where's his money going? He's hoarding it. But also he says he gives it away. But we'll find out some more stuff. That's fucked up. Is he okay? Is his stomach hurt? Like, I mean... Is there was an article where someone tried to eat like Warren Buffett for a week and they said they were (laughs) nauseous every... Like, they wanted to die. They were nauseous the whole time. Wow. Yeah. He only eats junk food. That's it. And McDonald's. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen... I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something. And it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like ugh, like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies. It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. 
Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time-consuming. I'm sure you guys know. You've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Okay, so then I don't even know where to go from here. Okay, so his money, his money is certainly not given away to his children because he is widely known to not give any money to his children or grandchildren. I'm talking about absolutely nothing. He controls all of it. He hoards, like he says he's giving away most of his wealth to charity, but he's not gonna do it till he's older. And also it like truly doesn't, address the root causes of inequality and it really just has to do with him because he's obsessed with his reputation and he's obsessed with his own influence so basically this is a story that is told about him in an article it says warren buffett likes to tell the story of how he turned down his daughter's request for a forty-one thousand dollar loan to improve her kitchen she says i asked for a loan to expand the kitchen so i could fit the high chair in when my daughter was born and he said go to the bank and do it like everyone else how would you feel if your father was the richest man in the United States and wouldn't let you borrow the equivalent of less than a penny to him? Warren Buffett has given away over $60 billion to charities, yet his granddaughter can't afford her own health insurance and Grandpa Warren doesn't care. And we will get to the granddaughter. So when his granddaughters are twins, their names are Erica and Nicole, 
And when they were four years old, their mother married Warren Buffett's youngest son, Peter. And then Peter adopted Nicole and Erica. And they lived their lives from the ages of four on as part of the Buffett family. Warren's wife, who passed away, Susan, she like treated them as if they were full Buffett grandchildren. She passed away in 2004. She named Nicole one of her adored grandchildren in her will. She talked about them as if they were part of the family, never bringing up that they were adopted. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. So in, oh my God. Okay. Hold on. Let me open. Let me just open the the thing. Can you guess what's about to happen? Is Warren Buffett, after his wife dies, going to decide that they're not his real grandchildren? You guessed it. So, okay. Nicole then agrees to appear in a documentary called The 1% by Johnson & Johnson heir Jamie Johnson. And she's making this documentary about the gap between rich and poor Americans. And she talks on camera about how, like, she talks about her grandfather and she talks about, like, how basically, like, you know, money is the spoke in my grandfather's wheel of life. Well, Warren Buffett is fucking pissed about this. He's fucking pissed. He's had felt for some time, this is an article in Marie Claire where he says, he had for some time felt ambivalent about Nicole and her sister's claim to his fortune, though Peter had legally adopted them. So then while she was on Oprah plugging the film, she said, you know, my grandfather donates a lot of money, but it would be nice to be involved with creating things for others with that money and for me to like be involved in it. But I feel kind of excluded from it because he controls basically all of the money. And like, the, the parents, his children, Howie, Susie, and Peter, they've all created foundations and he gives money to their foundations, but he won't give money to them for things that they need. So mm-hmm. because she gave this interview and because she talked about like growing up as a Buffett, Warren Buffett doesn't tell her directly. He tells Peter, I'm denouncing her. Then he writes her a letter. He mailed her a letter that says, I have not emotionally or legally adopted you as a grandchild nor has the rest of my family adopted you as a niece or a cousin. She's devastated. He signs the letter Warren. She has a card from him just a year earlier that is signed Grandpa. His first wife in the will gave Nicole and Erica $100,000 each, called them adored grandchildren and said that they shall have the same status and benefits as if they were my own as if they were the children of my son. He then took about a billion dollars and split that between his children so they could fund their own charities. So then this is an article on Medium where it says, I don't think I've read a Warren Buffett interview where he didn't boast about his frugality and how normal his existence is. He lives in a standard house, drives a standard car, and doesn't like to travel much. Oh yeah, he barely leaves Nebraska. What is the point in being a billionaire and having all his money and not spending any of it? If money is relative, it would cost him less than a penny to have helped Peter out with a car and a fraction of a cent to pay for his granddaughter to have health insurance. The man known as the Oracle of Omaha's family likely harbors resentment for their patriarch. Warren Buffett is a control freak. Family members have rules to follow to reap the benefits. For example, his love for the granddaughter was conditional, right? Right. She doesn't talk about the family and he could help her, which he was doing. He paid for her school, but it's like conditional, right? And so like the, the... the thing that I keep getting from him and like as I go into this 2017 documentary which I watched about him it seems like everyone is scared of him it seems like everyone around him talks nicely about him and does this sort of like even like his children the way they speak about him like oh we're so close he's so loving he's so wonderful all of that is like the whole time I was watching it I was like they have to say that 
because the one time that someone said something against him, he cut them off. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. I mean, even as he's like, I'm not, you know, if the, the like party line is that he doesn't, he wants his kids and his family to like live life the way everyone else does. It's clear he does give them help. He does give them support. It's just extremely conditional. And it's, it's not ever, it's not enough for them to be like, fine, I have enough. I don't need you. And I'm going to move on. Like it's all, it's, it's doled out in this way that is like very obviously better than what most people get from a family member. But like in the context of him being the richest person, it's like, why are you hoarding all this money and not even giving it to your family? It's under his control. I mean, it's like you can have money, but if you do what I say, if you run what I want you to run, if I, if you have the jobs that I want you to have that make me look like a good person. Well, and also like, what are these charities? Like when you say charity, like are, I I mean, are they, like what kind of work are they doing? Are they sort of like just places, uh, you know, like how legit are they? The son, Peter, he's a musician. And so his, he's like an arts charity. Uh Then- Susie, who is the daughter, has a charity where she cares about public education. So she takes like does a lot of stuff with like the welfare of children from low income, low income families. She's very into like children and childhood education. And then Howard, the oldest son, is very he does a lot of stuff with like also with like children and education. But he also is like he's involved in like farming, like he wants like people who are farming in like small communities, especially in Africa to like better understand how to use their land to their advantage was like one of the things they talk about in the documentary. I don't know. It's a lot of B-roll of him just sort of walking around Africa, I should say. Hmm, Okay. (laughs) A little suspicious of that, but okay. Yeah. I mean, it's basically this thing of like cosplaying as poor or middle class in order to seem relatable. Mm hmm. When your money could literally solve world hunger. Kind of like a lot of the people I went to NYU with. (laughs) Yeah, Warren Buffett's basically an NYU freshman trying to (laughs) bum a cigarette. Yeah, he's being like, oh, yeah, I'm just really struggling to make ends meet. And then you go to their, like, incredible two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's also, like, promoted as self-made. But it's because... But, like, his... His dad was in Congress and like, yes, he had abilities to learn about stuff. And the problem is, is that then he also talks about that, which is like, fine. So he meets Uh his first wife, Susan. They get married. She's huge into civil rights activism. Uh So she turns him from a Republican into a Democrat, which is he credits her for. And he's Uh like, she opened my eyes to all this, you know, systemic racism and whatever. He also in the documentary talks about I'm very lucky. I'm lucky that I was born white. I'm lucky that I was born in America. I'm lucky that I was born male. He also talks about, like she gives this interview about him, Susan, where she says, we're doing all this work with racism. And then he says, wait till women discover they're the slaves of the world. (sighs) And then Mm -hmm. she says, isn't it amazing that a man could say that? It's certainly something. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just touch a little bit on Berkshire Hathaway's sort of giveaway. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about his two-day jamboree. It's the annual shareholders meeting. And basically, it's like this religious festival kind of thing. Devotees come. they, They own a little bit of like, whether they own a lot of 
you know, shares or a little bit of shares. 40,000 people usually show up. He gives speeches. There's like, you know, barbecues and shopping and all this kind of stuff that has to do with like the companies that Berkshire Hathaway owns. And it basically looks like Jesus camp. Weird. And he does it, he says, because he wants to get to know his shareholders. Mm-hmm. I think it is megalomania. Yeah, it definitely feels like his priorities are people liking him and having control and having mm-hmm. control over people so they will like him at le- or at least pretend to like him. He also believes like his family should be a meritocracy. So he doesn't like it's it's this weird thing where Buffett's like, you know, it's unfair. I won the Ovarian lottery He talks about. So he says, like, you know, for most people, your life is determined by the wealth you were and weren't born into. He's like fanatically devoted to living with like the kids going to public schools, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then. But it's all to make his reputation squeaky clean. Well, it's also a thing where at a certain point, I mean, it, it, it like brings up the sort of question about like, you know, is it possible for there to be an ethical billionaire? And like, I would say no. And it's a question of like, regardless of what else someone is doing, having that amount of wealth is in itself immoral to the point where like, yeah, it's great that he wants his kids to go to public school and he's not a rich person who's like advocating for charter schools or whatever. Like there, there are ways to be more outwardly evil, but if you're just hoarding that amount of money, that in itself is immoral. Also, he's 92 years old. Like, why does he need more money? So what happens? Can I ask like, so if he died tomorrow, Mm -hmm. where would his money go? A lot of it would go to charities that he's designated most of Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And then some of those charities are run by his kids. And then the idea Mm -hmm. is that there's no inheritances. Right, but that's so much money. Like, does, like, what, I don't think I know enough about, like, like, is it, when someone with that amount of money dies, like, okay, so it's split among these charities, what is, mm-hmm. what is this, what is his, what do his kids' charities do with that level of money? Like, I, they better be, like, fixing all the problems of public school, like, if they're a well-run charity with that right. amount of money, like, it's just so much money. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a problem that want that they want to solve because if they solve the problem, the three kids don't have jobs. Right. If they solve all of this stuff, then then these kids don't like. It's nice to be like, what I want, you know, my son's a musician. I want him to run a charity for music. Okay, but what if he just wanted to be a musician? Right. And you uh, created a situation where people could pursue the arts right. because they have universal basic income. Right. Like, what if what if you did that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, if, if he wants people to like him, like, I'll I'll say that I love him for a pretty low price. I'm really easy. I'm, you can buy me for, honestly, 10K right now would make my life so much better. So I'll, I'll, I'll worship him for that. That's the thing is that you, your granddaughter doesn't have health insurance because you're not pushing for socialized medicine. And then there was this like garbage quote where he was like on this in the CNBC interview, Charlie Munger goes, if you love how your post office is run, you're going to love socialized medicine. Right. Give more money to the post office. <laughs> like, that's also something that, to, like, the post office doesn't have enough money either. Like, give some of your billions to the government and to the post office. Also, when you have that amount of money, what what's his involvement in, like, politics and, like, 
like, you know, like packs and super packs and stuff. Like what what's what's his involvement there? He doesn't like politicians. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think that does anything, really. He's okay. sort of like like I I actually he gave some thing where he talks about how he doesn't he's like a Democrat and like all that, but he doesn't give to politics because he just doesn't trust like I don't know how to explain it. Like he doesn't he he doesn't trust individual po politics. Like he doesn't uh, he he thinks that the government doesn't like do things correctly or doesn't run things correctly, which like, yes. So he's not only a rich NYU student, he's a rich NYU student who identifies as a libertarian. Here's the crux of it. Yeah. He's a control freak. And he get and he gets off on that. And also his wife comes, the first wife comes very close to ex explaining it in this documentary, which is he's just competitive. He mm. just wants to win. At one point, an interviewer is interviewing him and says, did you think growing up that you would be one of the five wealthiest people in America? And he says, no, I would have thought that I would be the number one wealthiest person in America. Why would I want to be top five? Or he like, why is, is, he, extremely... why is he fighting to win this of all things? Like, can't he like, why, he seems to really love McDonald's. Why doesn't he get into like competitive eating? Or like, there's so many other ways he could win. He could give his money away, but he could like become the number one you know, I don't know, you know, like, can he, he can win an Oscar? Give, give, again, I would be, I'm very willing to take his some money from him. His idea is that they, so the, in the, in the documentary, they say about his job, he says, it's a big game and I enjoyed the game a lot. And he's talking about life because they're like, uh -huh. are you afraid of death? And he says, uh -huh. no, it's been a big game and I've enjoyed the game a lot. And he gets to play this game. It's a game to him. And he's right. giving this talk in front of high school kids. He's talking to a class. So the documentary uh -huh. is bookended by him talking to a class of uh -huh. kids. And it's a very diverse class. There's a girl in a hijab. You know, it's really, uh -huh. it's everybody's there. That's who he's talking to. He's saying like, obviously I got really lucky. You know, I was born an American male, but like, this is, you know, this has sort of been a fun game for me. And his thing, okay. His thing is that the company, Berkshire Hathaway, doesn't have traditional departments. So like they don't have HR. They don't have like departments that you would think a company would have. He says mm -hmm. a headquarters for a company should have one person there. His big thing. And this is so I also read this book, The Essays of Warren Buffett. And it's the mm -hmm. letters that he sends out to his shareholders every year. And mm -hmm. he's very transparent. He'll send out a massive thing to every single shareholder about what's going on in the company what the, what, you know, he's very transparent with that. And his thing is, I give every single person the exact amount of, this, the same information. It's a meritocracy. You, Drew Gregory, have access to the same information I do as Warren Buffett and the same information that I had when I was growing up. I chose to read all of it and invest. And if you have access to that same information and you're choosing not to do that, that's on you. He's like, I give everyone in my company, I give them the exact same amount of information. What they go on and do with it, that's them. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible. And the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Okay, now's when I have to ask, what is this company? Because I'm ignorant. And like, what's Berkshire Hathaway? Like what? It's a conglomerate. It owns a bunch of other little companies. So it owns McDonald's, Dairy Queen, but it owns all these other companies. Oh, right, right. And it owns, notably, Seize Candy. Oh, he really does love junk food. He loves junk food. Well, he talks also about, so like for economic moats, he really cares about, again, reputation. So Mm -hmm. he's like, Seize Candy will always be the name or the brand that you're buying. If your girlfriend gives you a kiss because you brought her Seize Candy on a first date, you're always going to buy Seize Candy. If like it's Valentine's Day and you have this candy out on the table, your wife knows what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what he can trade on. Mm-hmm. His wife, his first wife talks about that he he doesn't really engage with the physical world that much. 
He doesn't know the color of the walls in his living room. So she kind of gives this impression of him about like weaponized incompetence. And he Mm. says, there are no good answers for human problems, but there's almost always a good answer for money. So he's basically this person who like his children and his wife and these various women in his life where there's more of them, they hold him up. And he eventually says like, I couldn't have done this without Susie. I couldn't have done this without his second wife, Astrid. Like he's like, there's no way I could have done any of this without these two women in my life, which is classic. Mm -hmm. Susie in this interview talks about, she passed away in 2004, but she talks about in this old interview, she wants to give more of their money away, but Warren doesn't. And she's like, I understand because he needs money for his business, which okay. And then she says, the money is his scorecard. Everybody, this, she says, Warren says, everybody can read what I read. It's a level playing field. And then she goes, he's competitive. And I wrote down, these people are mentally ill and possessed by bullshit. Yeah, is the goal to, so so for him, it's just like he, if he were to give more of his money away, he wouldn't be the top. Is he the richest man? In uh, yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't be that anymore. And so then that would feel like he's losing. Because I, I think sometimes yes. when I when I say, when I say to people, especially people who are like more, I don't know, work in finance or whatever, not that I talk to that many people in finance, but people are like, well, you don't get it. Like if someone's a billionaire, it's not like they have just like a billion dollars sitting in their savings account. Mm. Like it's, it's in all these different things. And if you give some away, then it all, the whole house of cards falls and blah, blah, blah. Like, can you kind of get into that uh, in the sense of like, you know, if he were to give away, let's say half of his money, which he says that he does. And he says that he wants to do when he dies. He's going to give it all away. Yeah. And he's in, obsessed with this giving pledge. And Bill and Melinda Gates are in on it. And you know who isn't? Charlie Munger, who's like, nah. <laughs> like, they're besties. They work at Berkshire Hathaway together. And Charlie's like, I'm not signing your dumb pledge. Wow. So it's kind of like the evil guy who's evil and the evil guy who's like, no, I'm a good guy. Yeah. I mean, but like, how much is... Like he can't, much? okay, so basically, like, he owns all these companies, and mm-hmm. so he can't, he has money, I'm sure it's hidden, right, because he also talks about how there's no incentive to tax billionaires in some way, because they'll just hide the money better than other people do. <laughs> Fine. Nice, okay. And then people say, oh, he's a straight shooter. So anyway, I think you're correct, but I also think that you can dismantle some stuff. Like, there are things that are in place that you think need to exist. Like part of me, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. Do these charities need to exist? No. Could he take that money and do something else? More direct, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then the how many people work at the foundation? Right. Like how many jobs is he providing? Like he goes to bat super hard for Solomon Brothers when it starts to fold. Part of that is he's like, 8,000 people will lose their jobs. Fine. But we're also then lobbying government money to to fix a hedge fund. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, well, yeah, I mean, the, the other question I would have is like, what are people paid? Like fa- Coca-Cola factories. So if Berkshire Hathaway owns Coca-Cola, yeah, then like, what what is someone making in a Coca-Cola factory? Right. Like, is he is is he invested at all? Not money invested, but emotionally invested in like, is part of his good image that the companies that he runs, like, do they have good practices? I would imagine no. No, absolutely not. Right. So then it's just this thing of like, he can say that everyone has the same information, but 
like if he's running, if he's technically at the very top and benefiting from these various companies, like how are those companies being run and how exploitative are they in order tell for you. him to get more money? I'll tell you. Great question. His thing is he, he doesn't run Coca-Cola. He runs mm-hmm. Berkshire Hathaway. So whenever mm-hmm. something happens to one of his companies, they get in trouble, they have terrible labor practices, whatever it is. He goes, well, I don't know anything about that. I just run Berkshire Hathaway. So he gets away <sighs> with all that kind of stuff because he's one removed. Mm. So he's like, I'm in, I'm in, he says, oh, I'm invested in like what's going on at these companies. But then when something bad goes down, he oftentimes will be like, I don't know. I well, just and run I'm Berkshire sure- Hathaway. I'm sure the head of Coca-Cola is involved in politics and cares about politics and is donating to terrible politicians and making sure that yeah. like the, you know, tax practices are are still highly not, unfavorable to yeah, like, person. Yeah. Like I'm sure I'm sure that he is ultimately giving money to you know right. the the sort of status quo of our country and world. There's also the issue, before we get into a little bit about the book, there's also this issue of of consent that I want to put in there because, again, we talk about he's very powerful, he's a control freak. And in this, in this documentary, they talk about how his wife, he moves his first wife out to San Francisco. And she says, oh, I moved out there because we went to visit San Francisco and he was like, this is your town, you love it here, like you gotta live here. So he moves her out. Then he's by himself. And she's like, oh, he can't take care of himself. I'm going to send my friend Astrid to live with him because she's my friend and she's going to take care of him. Him and Astrid start this affair. Mm -hmm. And then in the documentary, it's portrayed as they're just happy he's happy. And it's like a thruple and they live that way for a long time. And it's like everything's fine. But then later, there's like things that come out that are like he moved her to San Francisco to like get her away from him. He like, then after she passes away, he marries Astrid, his second wife. And like, there is, yes, let's say that these women are now presenting their situation as like, this was fine for everybody. And they show this like clip of the three of them like singing together. And it's like meant to be really sweet. And like, believe me, I'm on board with the thruple. (laughs) But there's an issue of consent because who is going to stand up to him? Right. If like, if like the granddaughter is cut off, for doing an interview mm-hmm. in what world are his three kids going to be in this documentary and say anything bad about him or not be in the documentary. Right. The daughter gives this interview talking about how she has this distinct memory of him singing somewhere over the, over the rainbow to her as a baby. And then the documentary ends with somewhere over the rainbow playing over the credits. We're meant to think that, that this man is like a very nice home, like down home folksy man. All, all of these, everyone around him is controlled by him. I think it's very convenient that they all, you know, they, everyone just likes him and work, it works out. And like, they are, I wrote, they are all trapped by him and he doesn't even see it. Yeah. So gently in this book, I read The Essays of Warren Buffett, Lessons for Corporate America, fourth edition by Lawrence A. Cunningham. And Lawrence Cunningham is an expert on corporate governance and on Berkshire Hathaway itself. Corporate (laughs) governance is a set of relationships between a company's management, its board, its shareholders, and other stakeholders. So it's basically how, how everyone at the company relates to each other. It provides structure through which the objectives of the company are set and the means of attaining those objectives and monitoring performances are determined through like whether they're keeping up with this stuff. 
he believes that everyone is equal. So he, when he has this retreat, he says he talks to everybody the same. He doesn't listen to the people that put more money in more than he listens to the people that put less money in. It costs so much. It costs a lot to go to the to the Berkshire Hathaway retreat. So all it takes is a single share to be considered a stockholder and join the company. You can either own a class A share, which is traded at half a million dollars, or you can do the more affordable B shares, which are three hundred twenty three thousand dollars. So wait, to go- so to buy to buy a share, you need to have at least three hundred twenty thousand dollars. The primary purpose is to give shareholders an overview of their performance during the last year and learn their plans going forward. Investors and the media can pose questions to the company. They Buffett and Charlie Munger answered questions for six hours at the one that was held in 2019. You don't have to be a shareholder, but you do need a meeting pass. And they basically go over all the reports and stuff while you're there, which is like how he says, oh, the, you know, everyone has access to the same information I have. Hopped up on Coca-Cola talking for six hours about Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Passes are not that expensive, but you do have to like find a place to stay and everything. Passes will go up to like are like twenty five bucks. It looks like, but you do have to like. But you have to have three. But in order to get a share, you have to have three hundred twenty thousand. I'm confused because I, so I don't know. I just like have a memory of like my grandpa once buying me like a Disney stock, and I thought it was like twenty bucks or like maybe a hundred bucks. No, it depends on different. It depends. So like yeah. when I invest, like like a uh, Kraft Heinz is like a fifty dollar stock, but like if you want to invest in Tesla, it's like seven hundred, whatever it is. You know, like the stocks change in number. So so Berkshire Hathaway is a three hundred twenty three hundred dollar stock as of May. I, I guess I just didn't realize they could get that high. Oh, they get super high. Oh, they get super high. Disney, let me see. Disney stock cost. Disney stock price is right now Disney is trading at $88. Right. And then hundreds of thousands, thousands. No, but then Tesla is trading at 262. And then there's other ones. Berkshire, there's like bigger. Berkshire right now is a class A follow of them. A class A stock is half a million dollars. One stock. Wow. Yeah. Apple is 186. Like it makes sense because they like Berkshire Hathaway owns all of these like, you know, other. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. There's a a ETF trust, like a a fund that you can buy called Spy, and that's going for $435 a share. Like it's it's based on like what the company sets it as or like what the company needs to make back from people buying the stock. So Charlie Munger is now 99 years old. He says that he can't do the giving pledge because he's already transferred so much to his children that he's already violated it. Because you're not supposed to, I think you have to give away half, like half of your money, which at least he's, look, at least he's honest. Do you know what I mean? You're like, you know who I like? Charlie Munger. (laughs) No, I hate him. He also designed, he also tried to design a dorm for a college with no windows. That was like the biggest fire hazard I've ever seen. He doesn't know about humanity. Right. It feels like a lot of these guys, I mean, it's wild to me how much power and wealth like this hand, this handful of like dudes have, and they just seem to have no understanding of humanity. And it's like, it would be sad if it wasn't so harmful. 
Okay. So he has the board of Berkshire Hathaway and he says he wants exactly the same 25 people in the Christmas picture this year as last year. So he doesn't make changes. He finds people and he sticks with them. There are women, there are black people, there are Indian people on the board. There's diversity, but he doesn't like diversity because he claims that it's similar to Theranos trying to get big names on the board. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Who are these people on the board? Like, okay. what? So, one is Charlotte Guyman. So, Charlotte Guyman is this white woman who was like a, she used to work for Microsoft. Now she's on the Berkshire Hathaway board. She's just an old white woman. Then there's Susan Decker, who was from Yahoo, also a white woman. Then there's Meryl Whitmer, who I believe is also a white woman. And she used to be like a partner at a capital firm and like a real, you know, realty firm, stuff like that. His kids, Susan and Howard, mm-hmm. Ajit Jain, who's a Indian businessman who was the founder of uh, Deutsche Bank. Deutsche basically, Bank. so basically for a, the board of a place like Berkshire Hathaway is just like a bunch of already extremely rich people who Correct. then are consulted uh, to make business decisions. Yeah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. There's also Ken Chenault, who is the was the CEO and chairman of American Express. He's the third African-American CEO of a Fortune 500 company ever. And then there's Wally Welts, who is, I think, also a white guy. What do they do? Like, what is their work? Like, what do they just like sort of like, how often does the board meet? What kind of decisions do they make? They're making decisions on like what companies to buy or where the money goes a little bit. Like it's mostly kind of a, I mean, if you watched the the Theranos documentary, they mostly just kind of put their money and their names on it. And then they, mm-hmm. they hope that everything is going well. <laughs> Got it. He did, I will say, get in trouble because his companies were giving money to pro-choice organizations. And there was some backlash to that for Warren Buffett. In the documentary, it says where a lot of his charitable donations go. I paused and looked at it. It did mention family planning and pro-choice organizations. So he he does still do that, even though people don't like that he does that. That's Interesting. Nice. He's Okay, sorry. To go back, he says, 
One of the greatest problems among boards in corporate America is that members are selected for other reasons, such as diversity or prominence to a board or famously independence. So here's the thing. Diversity and prominence are not the same thing. Theranos getting like, like the Department of Defense head on board is not the same as like being like, we should probably have a black person. Yeah, I also, I don't know, maybe this is just my own politics, but like at the point where you're, at the point where it's a Berkshire Hathaway board, like I don't really care that much. I'm not like, where's the trans person on the Berkshire Hathaway board? I'm like, why does the Berkshire Hathaway board exist? Why does Berkshire he Hathaway exist? has control over everyone around him. He doesn't, he, he thinks he's giving out power and he's not. Right. He doesn't diversify his portfolio. He's against that. He says, he quotes Mark Twain, put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. Charlie and Warren have their money in the same place as the shareholders, they say, so if th so that they are personally affected when something goes wrong. They only do long-term holds and they basically his whole thing, like I said in the beginning, is just get the best thing, hold on to it forever. Mm -hmm. That's it. He very much believes in like, he's obsessed with his reputation, obsessed. Right. He doesn't like CEOs. He thinks that they're uh, friends who are appointed and then everybody is just like scared to oust them. He basically is just like, I don't know. It's hard because he buys Berkshire Hathaway in 1965 and it starts as a textile business. So it's basically like just making fabrics. Uh -huh. And then he builds it up to be like buying other companies. He, do, they, do they still make fabrics? Do they own like Joann's? I don't think so. No. I don't actually know. He talks about that he buys an American company because they're getting put out by foreign companies that are paying workers less than U.S. minimum wage. He praises unions here, saying that he pays a better wage to his workers while he's doing textiles with Berkshire. He talks about buying stocks with bonus money so you don't need options. You don't need stock options. So basically he doesn't give when you work at his when you work at a company, sometimes the company will give you stock options. Like my mm -hmm. boyfriend works at Google and he has stock in Google. Mm -hmm. Warren doesn't believe in stock options because he's like, why don't I just pay you more? And then you use that money to buy actual stock in the company. He's saying if you run your company well, your employees will just buy stock in that company because they'll stay with the company for a long time. Right. But it's like when you say pay your employees well, like how much are you actually doing that? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting, different way of talking about it than other places. Like it makes us think that he is telling us the truth. He's speaking truth to power. I mean, but it, he is the it, power. Right. It kind of feels like when, like if I'll talk to like, I don't know, an extended family member or like a friend of my dad's who will be like, you know, oh, like I totally support you. And like, of course I want, like, you know, I, like, I, I'm so happy for you to be trans and blah, blah, blah. And then like you, and then they'll like reveal that they like voted for a Republican politician who like wants me dead. Where you're like, okay, I see that you're saying the right things and I'm glad you believe the right things. But if your actions in the structure of society are not backing up those values, then like, it kind of doesn't make a difference. I'd yeah. kind of rather you be an asshole, but like not hoard money. You know, I'd rather you like... It's this is when know. he started to scare me more so than than someone who we outwardly believe is evil, because also Warren Buffett has a cult around him. He has mm -hmm. a lot of fans like, yes, Elon Musk has fans. Yes, Jeff Bezos has fans. But if you don't know that much about Warren Buffett, you might just be like, 
he's a Democrat and he seems like a nice guy. When he started to really freak me out and scare me is when I'm reading the book and I'm like, this isn't bad advice, Mm -hmm. but like, it's very individualistic. It's very Mm. like a climate of fear is good for investing. A euphoric world is your enemy. I want you to be rich too, but like you unfortunately pay taxes. (laughs) He's like obsessed with America and like keeping America American owned, which is like a little bit of a dog whistle of xenophobia. Right. He talks about buying a lot of companies that are, he calls them cigar butts. And there's only one puff left in it and it may not offer much of a smoke, but the bargain purchase will make the puff all profit. So he's buying stuff before it like goes out of, goes out of business, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, he says, don't buy a stock you're not going to hold on to for 10 years. Like he very much, he's giving you, a, he's, he's writing this to his shareholders and he's giving them a lot of good advice, but he hasn't lived in the real world for a very long time. I don't know. I just started getting like very nervous about how it would be easy to read this and think that he was like an average Joe good person. Yeah. I mean, I think it shows that you can't expect any individual person to govern themselves. I mean, it's like it, it even though he's like against government in this way, like it, he's actually kind of like the perfect example for why a government is needed and why like societies need regulation regulation yeah like because even someone who believes in himself that he like is is liberal and believes in the right things and whatever like he's still creating so much harm and it's he shouldn't he just shouldn't be like regulating himself. Yeah. And he says things like, I'm pro-regulation, but I also think billionaires should be allowed to exist. But then he like jokingly goes, well, I'm self-interested. Like they're very, he's like, tries to be like, I'm self-aware. Right. So like, it's just, the book was a slog to get through, first of all, because it's all very boring. (laughs) Which like, again, like he would say to me probably, well, I gave you all the information I have. Right. So- I gave you all that information, but then probably he'd be like, but it must be so hard to be trans. But like, let me just, okay, there's so much more I could say, but we could maybe do a part two, but let me just cap this (laughs) off by saying that he, in, in being a Democrat, he talks about how President Bush is, so in 2003, President Bush proposes to eliminate taxes on dividends. And people are saying that this would unfairly benefit the wealthy. Warren Buffett says, that actually this would reduce his taxes. Like like he would then be paying proportional taxes to his secretary. So let me end on this. He doesn't want to give up control. In the book, he says that he wants to be told to step down, that he is not going to actually step down until he dies or is told to step down. I feel like I had so many thoughts and feelings and it was hard to like get all of it out and articulate it. Basically, the thing is, is that he's maybe giving good advice. It's maybe worth looking into what he says. But you are not able to be a good person if you are so concerned with competition, with keeping your money at the age of 92, with your reputation. He's obsessed with goodwill. Obsessed. He's like, you have to have goodwill. People have to like you. Mm -hmm. In doing that, you are strangling any ability for anyone to actually like you or get close to you. You cannot 
truly believe that your children are telling you the truth. You cannot truly believe that anyone around you is telling you the truth because there's an inherent fear that comes with believing your own bullshit that badly. The guy at McDonald's isn't nice to you because you come there every day, Warren Buffett, and because you eat McDonald's and because you pay in coins. He's nice to you because you're Warren Buffett. Does he tip? Well, do we know this? Actually, I don't know. Does Warren Buffett tip? He probably doesn't go out. Well, I mean at McDonald's. Doesn't? Okay, here we go. Warren Buffett doesn't tip. Sure. 2015, and other things I learned, uh, a Market Watch article, and other things I learned about Warren Buffett from this meeting. So you can't meet with him directly there. You... The word around town, Warren isn't the biggest tipper. A Goritz waitress told me that Buffett generally tips 25%, but is known to tip as little as 22. Also, think about the influence that he has on the city of Omaha. Why does a man like that not live somewhere bigger? It's because he can own Omaha. It's because he lives there because he can control that entire city because he runs their economy. Nothing he does is generally, like nothing he does is genuinely selfless. He gives the money away and he's obsessed with the giving pledge because he's obsessed with winning and he's obsessed with being a good person. And the, the, even the documentary, which clearly was uh, like on his side the whole time, they show him giving the money away. This, the, the Chiron and the, the overlay is someone going in what will be seen as surely the most selfless act ever done by a billionaire. There's not, there, there's nothing about him that isn't competing and it's a sickness. Yeah. And we all have to suffer for his sickness. The most selfless act done by a billionaire is if Rihanna released new music, to be honest. <laughs> I'm sure maybe we'll do a second episode about this because I, I'm just like falling down a rabbit hole of, of you ever have your autism focus on Warren Buffett? I just want to know why Warren Buffett is so committed to being the richest man and winning that when he's already won the contest of having the strongest stomach and digestive system of anyone <laughs> in the entire world. That to me, that's where you need to go in the Guinness Book of World Records. Like that, I'm like, you need to be studied by a gastroenterologist. Like I am fascinated by that man's ability to eat that much McDonald's and Dairy Queen. He's probably pathologically the number one biggest people pleaser. Or not even, it's not even a people pleaser. It's obsessed with his own perception and thinks that everyone around him genuinely feels a way about him that they probably don't. Well, before this, I knew nothing about Warren Buffett except that he was rich. And now I know a lot about Warren Buffett. And I still, I, I, I just, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan. I'm going to hot take. <sighs> His fans are probably going to come for me because he's got like the equivalent of Swifties. Wow. Yeah. Well, Godspeed. Godspeed to me and, <laughs> and Buffett mania. thank you so much for joining me and letting me yell at you for an hour i had a great time i don't know if i made any sense to people listening to this because all of my information is so like jammed in my mind that i don't know if any of it came out coherently in any way or with any sort of narrative but i just needed to talk yeah no i got a i got a really clear portrait of warren buffett i feel where can people find you and more about you drew you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at draw underscore Gregory, my first name in the present tense. And all my other various work is is reachable from there. <sighs> I'm exhausted. 
I'm sure. Want to go to Capitalist Woodstock with me? Oh God, I'm. I would. I don't. I don't think so. We're the only two trans people at that <laughs> entire. <laughs> I'm sure. No, I'm sure there are trans people who are like. Uh, there's that's a thing that's a thing like there's a limit because there's you know different identities there's always going to be someone of every identity that like looks at warren buffett even uh, elon musk and is like you're amazing people worship wealth in this country in our world like there's always going to be something about rich people that certain groups of people admire not me (laughs) though of course yes me because like i love movie stars and stuff so like and rihanna i love rihanna so what are you gonna do Rihanna should throw Rihanna Woodstock, Savage Fenty Woodstock, and we would go and we would be wrong for that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would defend, I don't defend the billionaires who I like, like I like their art, I don't necessarily defend their billionaireness. And I have the feeling of like, I'm not that interested in having like Beyonce, Rihanna, billionaire discourse, because like, yeah, they shouldn't be billionaires, but there's a lot of other people who have even more that right. I don't know. It just feels more structural. It's not about Warren Buffett. It's not about Rihanna. It's like it's all structural. To me, it is about Warren Buffett, who is now <laughs> maybe replaced Dave Ramsey as my number one enemy. No, Dave Ramsey's my number one enemy. Bad with Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual, produced by Melissa D. Monts and Diamond M Print Productions, edited by Diane King, post-production sound by Coco Lorenz, and music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.